With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to a special edition of the Blues Focus podcast. Joining me on this episode, I've got Elliot. I've also We're also joined by a man who made over 100 league appearances for Birmingham City, Mr. Paul Devlin. Paul, thank you for joining us on this episode. Um, Elliot suggested we hit you straight away with um, an interesting one. Um, how would you describe Barry Fry in three words? <laughs> Am I, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> a- absolutely fucking crackers. That would be my three word. But no, I mean, all, all, all joking apart, loved him. Loved him. Um, I don't think you'll find many, if any, players that didn't love Barry. Uh, character, proper, proper football man. And, you know, me being a Brummie and a, and, and a Blues fan from years ago, I remember the, the state we were in pre, pre-Barry pre Fry and, and, to be fair, David Sullivan and David Gold. You know, the club was in a sorry state. They all came in and sort of ignited the whole place again. And you couldn't help but love Baz. Um, you know, his, his sort of ethos on the game was, well, we might concede three, but we'll score five. And I don't think you... I'd love to see the stats on how many nil-nils there were ever under Barry's reign. But he was brilliant, you know, loved him, still see him now and again. Got on great with Baz and I'll be eternally grateful for him for giving me a chance to play for to play for Blues. So, top man, Baz. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to... Sorry, I was, I was going to ask you, because he, he went soon after you came to Blues, didn't he? Was, was, you, was you sad to see him go? Yeah, I must have got him the sack. He saw me and he got the sack. <laughs> no, uh, no was great. I, I mean, he, he signed me sort of the last third of, of his final season um, and we did okay but we never never quite pushed on personally I did okay, I come in and I scored about 8 goals in, in 12 or 13 games uh, but then they went down the route of um, of Trevor, I mean Trevor is, is, is absolutely God at St Andrews as, as any Blues fan will tell you uh, best ever player by, by a mile 
and I think I think that the powers that be just just wanted them back. Bazard had a few years there, never quite got us where the owners wanted to be, and I think they just thought it was time for a change. Uh, and with Trevor being available and all the history that Trevor Trevor brought to the club, and you know the goodwill that he'd get from the supporters there, that they went down that route. So, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. You know, I only had a, a few months with him at Blues, but you know, it, it was a brilliant time. Yeah, I mean, he always strikes when you, when you see him on Sky now. Um, he always strikes you as a, a character, and he's you know he's he's as mad as a box of frogs, isn't he? But yeah, yeah. yeah but touching on Francis as well. Um, so yeah, seemed like a bit of a breakdown between the relationship between you and Francis towards the end of your first spell at the club. Can you touch on that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah, very much. So I just always got the feeling that I mean, when Trevor came in, he brought in. I mean, he, he brought in some fantastic players: Steve Bruce, Gary Ablett, God rest him, uh, Paul Furlong, Mark Neal, Barry Horn. You know, real, real pl- top pros that had played at the top of the game and and, and achieved everything. Um, got rid of most of Barry's. I think myself and Martin Granger were the only two really that survived for any 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 length of time and obviously Grange far longer than me. Um but I always got the feeling because I wasn't one of Trevor's signings that I always had to do that little bit more, that little that little bit extra. Uh, and I never really felt that he, he fancied me as a player. You know, I was fortunate in his in his first year I was player of the season and top goal scorer, got nineteen goals. You know, in his second season I think I'd got eight in the first twelve. You know, bear in mind I wasn't and out and out forward, I was a winger, really, predominantly, most of my career. Um, and then I, it, 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 I just felt that any excuse to leave me out the team, I was left out the team. And I was always fighting an uphill an uphill battle. Um, it ended all a bit acrimoniously. And I was always going to be the, the baddie of the piece because Trevor's got down there. And, you know, it was it was horrible the way it all finished in the, in, in the first time because, you know, the crowd got on my back. And I didn't really want to, you know, I wanted... A Steve Ball scenario like he had at Wolves 10, 12 years there, score 100 goals and, you know, and, and that was it. But it, it never worked out and, you know, I ended up having to have, having to leave. Um, had four fantastic years at Sheffield United. You know, lo- loved my time there. And then, you know, I was really, really lucky um, that Steve Bruce took me back in, you know, in, in, a, in a brilliant sort of uh, era for the club. Uh, and it was great to go back for a couple of years, sort of not put the record straight, but to be involved in something that was that was you know monumental for the club at the time. And then when I did leave the second time, everyone was happy and it was all done the right way. So yeah, I mean, it, I wanted Trevor to come in and him to love me the way that we all loved him as a player. But you know, it just it, it, players will tell you it, it doesn't work out like that at times. You know, managers want their own players in. And at the end of the day, I wasn't one of Trevor's signings. And he might have just thought I weren't good enough. So that was the way the cookie crumbled then. That's, that's fair enough, yeah. But just touching on just touching on that playoff final, when you came back the second time, um, played under Steve Bruce when he came in. He was only there, what, six months, wasn't he, before we got promoted? You took one of the penalties, didn't you, in, uh, yeah. after extra time. How did, how did you feel uh, on a scout of one of ten, nerves-wise, when you're walking up? Seeing that well, huge ten, ten ain't enough. Ten ain't enough. No, it was, um, I always say to people, it was it was one of the best and one of the worst experiences of my life, both at the same time. I mean that walk 
that walk from the centre circle to the penalty spot to put the ball down, it feels like you're walking for about three hours. And all, all that was going through my mind was, you know, it's the richest club game in the world. 150 million, whatever. You've got 77,000 people in the stadium. However many millions of people are watching worldwide. But the only thing that was going through my mind was, I'm a Blues fan. Don't be the one to miss, because they're always going to remember me. No matter how many goals I score for Blues, how many times I do well. If I miss that penalty, I'm always going to be remembered for missing that penalty. And because we played, obviously, 90 minutes to next extra time, I had cramp in my calves. I had real bad cramp. And whenever I took a penalty, I always had quite a long run-up when I took a penalty. You know, I ate all these crappy little steppy run-ups. <laughs> I used to have 15, 20 yards run-up and smash it as hard as I can. That was always my way. And I knew I could only have half the run-up because my calves would cramp up. So to see it go in, I mean, I, I very, very rarely, you know, if ever, have watched the game back. But people show me clips of when I scored the penalty. And honestly, I, I do that. And it's just relief. And, you know, thank God that's yeah. over. So it was like really a great moment and a terrifying moment. But it was that, it was that emotional. I'm, I'm not an emotional person, but I could have quite easily broke down in tears once that, that hit the back of the net. So it was, um, it was a strange one. It was just that much pressure, you know. And I always say to people when people moan about pros missing penalties, you know, you take a penalty in a game of that magnitude, the goal looks about that big. Right. And the keeper looks that big, and uh, it, it takes it, it takes a it takes someone a bit brave to take one. You know, all the lads that put themselves up for taking penalties that day, we were all good penalty takers. But I always have the crack with Jeff Horsfield, who's a, a big pal of mine. I say, where's me, where's my big brave Barnsley centre forward when the penalty takers again? He was hiding behind the dugouts. Not, not, he didn't want to take one, but it, it was a great day. You know, probably. There's two or three moments that stand out in my career, and and that's that's definitely up there as as one of them. I I have to confess, I, I was at that game. I, I I was the same age as Darren Carter, and yeah. I I couldn't watch any of them penalties. I couldn't. No. I couldn't. My dad my dad doesn't watch penalties, but he watched them. But I I couldn't watch them. So I, I don't know how you felt walking up to take that. It's just I know well, let me tell you, it's funny. It's part. funny you saying that because my dad. He's never drove my dad, but he come and watched me all my career. He's never, he couldn't watch me take a penalty. And I, was, I weren't a bad penalty taker. And I took penalties for most of the clubs I, I played at. And he never, ever watched me take a penalty. I don't think Bruce even watched, watched the penalties as, as, as they were going in. So it, it is nerve-wracking. But, you know, you're on about Darren Carter there. I mean, he'll always be remembered for that. But I think it was great because he was that young. I don't think it really dawned on him, the pressure. We'd been out in the top floor for 16 years however many people are watching. So, I think if there was someone to take the deciding penalty there, Daz was probably the best bet to take it. Yeah, he didn't feel the pressure, did he? He just, no, no. yeah, complete innocence on him. He just walked out, took it, great pen, went yeah, straight inside there. But, you know, to be honest, I mean, we had, for two weeks leading up to the game, we, we'd practice penalties religiously. I thought, you know, Brian Hughes never got to take the last one, obviously, but we'd practice them religiously. And I thought to myself, I fancy us on penalties there. You know, we, we had some real good penalty takers. That's good. You know, obviously you see the clip of Darren taking his penalty all the time, don't you? In, yeah, for, yeah. You know, for obvious reasons, of course. And, and like you say, not once you see uh, any sort of emotion on his face, he's just steely old job done, you know. He's terrified, he's terrified that's why. Like we all were <laughs> absolutely <laughs> kicking ourselves. That's I, was, 
I was seven at the time. We watched it in my, <laughs> in my we watched it in my nan's front room. No word of a lie. My mum was eight months pregnant with me, my younger brother at the time. And when that when the penalty at the back of the net, the, the whole room went wild. I can, I can remember that day like no one's business. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic day. Yeah, right, not um, after that, though, how did you uh, how did you and the lads go about celebrating promotion? Um, Elliot heard um, some sort of story about uh, a club and Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, a snooker club. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, but am, am I still light enough here? Do you need me to put the lights on? Am I okay? Are you all right? Light? You're all right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. I mean, I mean uh, Bruce was very much one for the lads celebrating and, and socialising together. And um, we had a group of lads that liked socialising, to be fair. You know, my, my big drinking buddies in the team were like Ors and Jono and people like that. But we, we all got on great. So it was basically three or four days were, were a blur. The open top bus parade and back to St Andrews and this and that. And the, the civic reception were all a blur. But I remember we went to, I think it was Matramore up in Cheshire or Manchester somewhere. And it was, I don't know, day, whatever it was of the celebrations. So we'd been out... We'd had a beer. So we, me and me and Ors have ended up back in the snooker room. So it's obviously dark snooker. There's a couple of snooker tables. So we, we, we've had a few beers and there's two blokes in suits playing snooker. So we've walked in and I'm, me being me, thought, yeah, I'll watch this horse. This will be a laugh. So I've ran as fast as I can. Jumped head first on the snooker table. Knocked all the balls all over the place. And, uh, you know, the, these two blokes were looking, you know, who's this lunatic? Uh, unbeknownst to me, sitting around the corner, in a little uh, alcove, talking about, obviously, loan sign with Steve Bruce and Alex Ferguson. So Bruce has just gone like that. Fergie's looked at me as if to say, who's that fucking lunatic there? And Orse is laughing like, he's obviously clapped him. I ain't seen him. And carried, he's let me carry on and jump on the snooker table like a right lunar. But that, but that, but that was much more. That, that was about the third or fourth day into celebrating. I think that's why I never got me moved to Mania. <laughs> <laughs> No, it'd have been too good for him, mate. It'd have been too good for him. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's have a look. Uh, so, obviously, back in the Prem, I'll say I remember your first goal against Leeds. Um, but you missed the first three games. Um, yeah. What happened there? You got you got suspended. Was it for Scotland or was it a pre-season no, game? No, I'll t- tell you what it was. Bruce, he took us up to a, a place called Anstruther just not far from St Andrews. He took us there when he was manager at Sheffield United as well. And we played Livingston in a friendly. And I got sent off in a friendly for, there was a, a centre-half called Marvin Andrews, played for Rangers, Livingston and that. And we've had a bit of a thing there. And I, I've ended up, not, not stamping on him, but one of them, a coming, a coming together, shall we say. And the referee sent me off. And normally in pre-season friendlies, they, they don't send them in and you know get him off or whatever. But he, he sent this one in, so I ended up suspended for... I can remember it now. The first three games were Arsenal, Everton, Blackburn. Because I'm thinking, bloody hell, you know, we haven't been in the, the top flight for 16 years. I'm going to miss the first three games. So it was, it was for a, a silly sending off in a pre-season friendly. And um, luckily enough that, you know, Bruce had put me back in for that fourth game, which was the Leeds game at home, which is probably, you know, the, the goal that most people talk about in me in me couple of spells at Blues yeah yeah it is um, do, you, do you regret it do you regret that that sending off just missing those first three games or it's just one of those things that happens you can't um, control it 
Well, we got hammered at Arsenal the first game, so I don't remember missing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I played in the return leg and they hammered us about 4-0 in the return leg at Blues as well. So, yeah, I do because, you know, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never played in the Premier League up till then. Blues had been out of it for 16, 17 years. So, obviously, it was a, it was a massive, massive body blow for me to miss. You know, I'd been there, been part of the playoff charge, the playoff final, and to miss the first three games. And you're always thinking as a player, well, I might not get back in the team. So, yeah, it, it, it was devastating. really was devastating. Yeah, I mean, I remember that game against Leeds. I think that's the first Premier League game that me I'd got took down to as a, a young lad. I remember yeah. Leeds had one hell of a side at the time, didn't they, as well? You know, Robinson in goals. Yeah, great team. And so, to, to win that was a, a fantastic result. But what were your thoughts just... Running up to the goal, leading up to the goal, really, you know, taking the shot on. Did you did you think as soon as it left your foot that it was hitting the back of the net? No, not really. I mean, it, it was crazy because obviously we'd played those first three games, and then Bruce decided to put me back in. So what we used to do, what we used to do on the Thursday, he'd name his team on a Thursday basically, and you'd go through the team shape and and different set pieces. So I knew I was playing. But any, any pro that you'll speak to will tell you, whatever set-piece routine you work on, whether it be a corner, a throw-in, a free kick, if it works, one in 50, you've done well. And this was the first time we tried it, the first time it worked. So we couldn't, we couldn't use it again. So I knew it was like Sav and Granger, back to me, the, the shot. And, it, and to see it go in, I didn't think it was... Because that's like a few past a few players as well. I mean, it worked out perfectly. I struck it quite well. It was a great ball back. Mind you, it was a bit hard from, I think it was Grange or Sav knocked it back, but they did fizz it in a bit. But yeah, I mean, it worked first time. And, and I'm telling you, any pro will tell you that that never happens. So it, it was unbelievable that my first game back, the first set piece that we'd worked on and it, and it came off and ended with a goal. But but I think actually the better goal that day was, was Damien Johnson's, uh, the second goal. Yeah. That was a, a, a great move. Johnson's goal was brilliant. Yeah, it was a great goal. I remember that goal as well. It was a nice one-touch move on it on the edge of the box. Yeah, lovely. I think Stearns laid it off and he's bent mm. it in the far corner. So, two really good goals. And, and, and like you say, I think Leeds, I don't know whether it was that year or the year after or the year before, they got to the, the semi-final of the Champions League. So, they were yeah. top, Alan Smith, Lee Bowyer, Mark Viduka, Kelly. They had a really good team. Yeah. I mean, we had... <laughs> We had a good team that first season in the Premier. Yeah. We had some really useful players. Like I know yeah. we brought quite a few players in. Cissé, uh, Ferdinand, Cody. Can't say you. We didn't see much of him. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, no, listen, you, you was lucky. You was lucky. I, think was, I think there was a reason behind that. But um, yeah. but yeah, Stern John was a really underrated player. So was Robbie Savage. Yeah. But who yeah. was who would you say was the best player we had that season? Barring obviously, Gary came in then he towards the end of the season. But who was our um, best player? I mean, I think his his first few signings, uh, Bruce, when we got up, were fantastic. Kenny Cunningham, Matty Upson, Sav. I mean, Sav for two, Sav for two years was was our best player without a doubt. Um, and, and and I think his his first sort of half a dozen to ten signings were fantastic. And I think and I've had this conversation with Bruce when I when I've seen him further down the line, and he was the first to admit that the, the biggest regret he's got is that he broke that promotion winning team up too much he got rid of myself he got rid of horse he got rid of Darren Carter you know and no disrespect to the players that come in but your Malchiots your Gronkiars your Rizits your people like that 
they never had the feeling for the club that we had for the club. And, you know, and that's when it all, not went pear-shaped, but it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't quite the same. But I think for me, in the, in the first year or two in the Premier, well, with the second year when it went South come, it, it, it's difficult to say. Sav, Sav was brilliant for two years. You know, absolutely brilliant. I mean, Dugary was great. But I, I think there is, a, there is a bit of a myth around the Dugary thing. You know, I think he scored six goals in 30 games. He came in and we'd have been safe anyway. But he, he was like the icing on the cake. When he came in, we were all looking around. Hang on. There's a World Cup winner, European. In, in a, and he, he was a top, top geezer and a top player. And he, that, that first season when we stopped up comfortably, and I think West Ham went down with like 44 points or something now. They probably finished mid-table now with, with that amount. It was just, it just capped off an amazing season, really. We beat the Villa twice. It was just like the dream. If you could have wrote a dream for that first season in the Premier League, that, that, that would have been it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, in terms of, like say, with Christoph, Christoph Dugary, when he signed that contract permanently, he just seemed to go a little bit off the boil, didn't he? he didn't yeah, well, well to, to be fair to Christoph, Christoph didn't really want to stay longer than the end of the season. His, his knees were shot and he was in pain. Yeah. And I think he thought that he was, it was just a six-month thing or whatever. But he, yeah. he became like a godlike figure and he became that popular. He couldn't not sign for the, for, you know, again. And it didn't, it, it didn't quite work, work out for him, but it was, it was unbelievable to, to, to be around, you know, somebody that's, that's done the things. And he, he had no airs or graces about him. The coolest man I've ever met in my life. And, and what a player. You know, he had everything, Christoph. It was brilliant, brilliant to just be around him. And, and I think he made, he made the other players in the team raise their game because you're thinking, hang on, I'm playing with a bloke that's won the World Cup. Or even you're training. You're training with a bloke that's won the World Cup here. So he, he upped the game. So, like I say, he, he was the cherry on the cake in that, in that first season. That's cool, man. Yeah, I've got to turn the light on now. I can hardly turn myself. I turn the light on. Go for it. Yeah. No, no, two seconds. I can't turn myself. Ross, obviously, just discussing Dugary there, would you say he's probably the best player you played with alongside in a blue yeah. shirt? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I always, I always get asked this question. And I think it's really hard. How do you compare a goalkeeper with a defender, a defender with a midfielder? But I think, you know, when you, you look at the, the, the things that Christoph's achieved and the ability he had, I mean, I was seeing him every day. I was training with him every day. Yeah, he, he probably was the best, the best player that I played with. In the, well, he was the best player I played with in Blue Shirt. But it was funny, though, because when we used to train and Trevor used to join in, and bear in mind, Trevor would be, I don't know, in, in his 50s at the time. Trevor was unbelievable. He was um, even at even at that age. He joined in the five sides, and he was great. And I, I don't really remember Trevor at Blues because it's a little bit before. I remember him at the at the end of his career. Um, but but Tre Trevor was fantastic in training. But Christoph was a was another level. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember when we first, I mean, being a bit younger then. You see, you signed a World Cup winner. Obviously, me being a young lad, I thought that's oh, it. We're destined for. <laughs> you know all sorts, but yeah. You got carried away. Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Not even going to deny it. <laughs> he's, he's not. He's not old enough to be as pessimistic as I am. Yeah. Well, if, if, I'll if, leave if me if, 
<laughs> if you're a Blues fan, you've got to have that pessimism about you, because you, you know it's all going to go wrong at any stage, don't you? So that, that's the joy of being a Blues fan. Yeah, absolutely. Even when we have a great transfer window, you think, ah, oh, it's not going to be, it's not going to end well still. Not going to end well. <laughs> but uh, actually, I was going to touch on was your um, international career with Scotland. And yeah. would you say it's probably your, your proudest moment of your of your footballing career when you won your first yeah, cap in Scotland? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like I say, obviously the playoff finals is up there. And, you know, even signing for Blues the first time was fantastic. And um but it was it was a strange one because I didn't get my first cap till I was thirty, you know, and I, and I wasn't playing any better than I had done for the previous six or seven years. The only catalyst for them giving me a cap was that I was playing in the Premiership, you know. I, I'd, I'd had four really good years at Sheffield. I'd had before that good years at Blues. Uh, never, you know, there was talk about getting a cap, but it, it never happened. But I think the fact that I'd got to the Premiership and I, I'd proved that I could play at that level. Got, you know, got, gave me the impetus to go on and, and, and get a cap and ended up with 10 caps at 30, which I never thought I'd get. You know, everything in my career seemed to, to come late. I was never, um, I was never, you know, outstanding as a kid. I didn't really start playing until I was 17. I always wanted to be a, a chef when I left school. So, sort of drifted back into football, made my pro debut at 19, didn't make my Premier League debut till 29, 30, and then 30 getting my Scotland cap. So it was fantastic, yeah, because, I mean, people think, well, how have you got a Scotland cap with an accent like this? But my dad and all that side of the family are from a place called Coatbridge, which is just outside Glasgow. So it's not like a far-flung relation. Every school holiday, all that, I was always up there. So it was it was a really close connection. And it was brilliant to, to make my debut. I had about 30 people up there watching at Easter Road. So it was great, and to, and to get 10 caps was fantastic. It was 10 caps more than I ever thought I was going to get. Probably came five or six years too late in my career. You know, a big regret that I never managed to get on the score sheet, but it, you know, it was brilliant. It was something that I thought I'd, you know, would never happen. What was, um, sorry, what was the, re- what was the reasoning behind you sort of coming into football so late? Like, say, you, you didn't make your, you get into pro football till 19, you know, obviously. Yeah. You know, kids start so young these days. Obviously, you're doing a yeah. bit of academy work too now, young. aren't you? Yeah. Too, too, young, too young, I think, the kids start now. No, it was just... Yeah. When I, when I went to senior school, it was it was the time where the teachers were having all the industrial action. So, they wouldn't mm. do any outside. So, we only had... My senior school only had a football team the first year and the last year. So, two or three years in between, we missed. And, and to be honest with you, I liked having a kicker out, but it never really interested me. I always was mad on being a chef. I wanted to catering. That was always a thing I wanted to do. So when I left school, I got an apprenticeship at um, the Post House Hotel in Great Bar, just down the road from me, working as a trainee chef. So that was like 16, 17. And then at 17, the, the, the lads in a, a local uh, club, St Mary's and John Celtic, they started up a Sunday time. So I just sort of drifted. Yeah, I'll, I'll come. Because I used to work weekends. I'm not working this weekend. I'll come. And I was so... I was always sub, come on, 20 minutes, half hour here and there. But I loved it because back and have a beer with the lad. So one day we played in a cup final over in Tamworth and I came on for the last half an hour and the Tamworth youth team scout, Paul Wood, was there. And he come to me after the game, so I thought you've done well today. Do you want to come and play for Tamworth youth team on a Wednesday? So it all sort of snowballed from there, really. And I, I, I was, look, at the bottom level Sundays, then it went to Saturdays, non-league, non-league, non I climbed the pyramid. I ended up um, 1990, a mate of mine had a football 
team in uh, Armitage called Armitage 90. Had a year there, done really well in the staff senior league. And then Stafford Rangers bought me at the time, we're in the conference. And Stan Collymore was there at the time, Chris Wright and Brian Kenning, two, two pals of mine. So I ended up a year there, then went, then went pro. So it went from me not really bothering about football at 17 to then at 19, playing in the old first division, which people know now as the Premier League. So it, it, it all happened really quick. But it, I never really wanted to be a footballer, you know, because I never thought I was good enough, basically. Obviously talking about kids starting too young nowadays, but we do want to talk to you about obviously what you're doing at the minute, which is um, you know, working with the, the younger generation, so to speak now. Just talk to us about that a bit, how you, you know, how you finding it, you know, what really made you want to go into that now? Yeah, well, well I've been involved in it for over 20 years. Uh, people running local courses in the community. Even when I was playing, I was involved in it. It's just weekly... It's not a team, it's not matches, it's just weekly coaching sessions for boys and girls aged 4 to 14 of any level, uh, of any experience. You know, it's just something that includes everyone, that the kid that's going to go on to an academy or a kid that's probably never going to get into their school team, that can come along every week, you know, every week and, in, and enjoy an hour's football. You know, because uh, obviously I'm from that background where... I had, I've had it a lot when I was a kid that I was never good enough to get into a team, but I still loved going and having a run around. So just that basically, you know, I, I do five, five days a week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening, Saturday morning, throughout the Midlands, get kids in, do an hour with the little ones, the older ones and the slightly older ones, and hopefully give them a, a little bit of enjoyment and uh, give them a little bit of um, guidance, benefit of my, my sort of experience. And the big thing is I hope they enjoy it and they go on and further their football journey. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And then, obviously, one of the things we did want to talk to you about being a, a Blue News yourself is your thoughts on um, the season ahead for the current side, the thoughts on Karanka and, and the squad that he's assembled over the past couple of months in the window. Just, yeah, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a strange season, Um you know, I can't bear watching it without any supporters. And it must be really, really terrible for the players to play in empty stadiums. Yeah, I can only think back and I'd have hated it. So I think it's going to be a strange season. I think, well, it, it's already come to pass. We're not going to score a lot of goals, I don't think. So I think there might be a lot of draws and a lot of winning by the odd goal. Um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. We're desperate, I think, for another forward. Uh, a goal scorer. I mean, Hogan done brilliant when he first come last season and, uh, and we've signed him there. And I think he will, he will be a good signing. You know, Duke's, Duke's done brilliant for us down the years. But I do think we're, we're a bit light, really, with someone who can get goals at that level in that department. Um, so I think if we could, if, you know, if there's any way down the line, we could get someone in. But I think we'll be a lot harder to beat. But I don't see us scoring many goals and, you know, steamrolling teams. So you think... You reckon this season's more of like a sort of consolidation sort of season, aim for 12th well, listen, place and that'd be a good season? Listen, five, five, I don't know what it is, five out of the last seven seasons, we've gone to the wire, haven't we? We've gone yeah. to the wire. Something like that, you know. Sooner or later, you can't keep dodging that bullet. So if you said to me this season, halfway, comfortable, I'll take that. I'll take that. So, yeah. Build on that then. Why all of a sudden are we going to go from nearly going down to nearly going up? 
you know, we haven't had a sugar daddy yeah. come in who's gone, there's 500 million, go and spend your way out of it. So that, that would do me. I, mean, I, I know that's, that's not what a lot of people want to hear, but being realistic, I, I would take that. I agree. I think realistically, I don't know if you watched much of the game the other night against Norwich, there's just such a divide between sides that are coming down from the Premiership at the moment yeah. and the likes of us that are sort of mid to lower table um, with the money they've got to spend with, you know, parachute payments and, yeah. and the, the fund, you know, the funds they're getting in for players. Um, it's, it's very hard to compete, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, and, and, and I think the longer, the longer you're out the top flight, the, the, the bigger that golf, the bigger that golf becomes. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I, it might sound like I'm being, I'm being a little bit pessimistic about, about things to come, but, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be real. I, I don't want to stand there again this season thinking it's going to go to the last game or the, la the last two weeks. I'd rather be safe with 14 weeks to go and whatever, you know. I, I don't foresee us challenging for anything. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest this season. Maybe if we do well this season and we finish top 10 next season, then you go, right, OK, this is where we, this is where we make the charge. Yeah, I agree. I think if we can keep a manager in charge for two or three seasons, you know, consecutively, <laughs> we'll be, uh, that'll be progress, won't it? There might be more chance of us going up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah, I'm gonna see where you're going with that one. <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's hope we don't get to sort of February, March, and they're you know thinking about pulling the trigger again. You know, we don't. No, listen. I mean, you know, the, every everyone makes a big thing in a manager situ situation, but I do think as well, in fairness to the board and the powers that be, there is things that go on behind the scenes that we we never get to hear about as as, as supporters. Yeah. So, I, I you know. I don't like criticising anyone, really, because at the end of the day, everyone wants a club to do well, whether you're a player, whether you're a manager, whether you're a chairman. We all want to go in the same direction, but sometimes we have different thoughts on, on, on how to get there. And, you know, my thoughts might disagree with your thoughts. So it's just one, it's just one of them. And, it, you know, we all want the same thing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The end, the end game's the same regardless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I think that is pretty much all we've got time for on this episode. But, Paul, it'd be brilliant if we could get you on again in the near future. Yeah, no problem. Down the line. Um, but, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in at home. Join myself and Elliot again next week for our weekly one discussing the games at the weekend and in midweek. And until next time, thanks for joining us. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.